Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. I know that there are some people that just like don't like seafood at all. Anybody? Like you're allergic or something like that. I know that's just kind of a bummer. Favorite seafood for my wife is not sushi. Sushi? Uh, calamari, any calamari fans in the house? Yeah, yeah, it's got to be fried though, right? Deep fried calamari. Um, you know, and those of you, that's squid. So if you've never, never eaten squid before, uh, that's, a, that's a preference for sure. Favorite color for me? Blue. Look at the carpet, look at my jacket. Blue is my favorite color. All right, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Favorite state? Illinois, right, 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 right. Aaron, what's your favorite font? It's not Times New Roman, is it? Papyrus. Papyrus, all right. No, I'm just kidding, sorry. Okay. Uh, Of course, we can all agree that paper bags are better than plastic, unless you want to carry water, hello. The measurements we use, kilometers or miles, there's lots of things in life that are preferences. Just your opinion that that's awesome, that that's great. At the best, it's your opinion. Unfortunately, in some things in life, in the worst, you're just ill-informed. And it's conjecture. And if you actually follow through on that thing that you think is right, you're going to die. Red wire, black wire, red wire, black wire. You know, (laughs) which one do you cut? So some things I think are truly adjustable, truly fluctuating, modifiable. As a kid, I didn't like sour cream. Now I can't get enough, ma'am, more sour cream, please. Right? I mean, what kid would like, I I want sour cream, right? I mean, there's uh, obviously young kids that do it as a kid, like sour cream. And here's the one that really blew me away once I tasted it was pecan pie. I looked at a pie that had like nuts on top of it. I'm like, that looks gross. And then they heat it up. Oh, that's gross. Then you taste it. You're like, oh, I think I'm going to change my opinion. I think pecan pie is the way to go. But there are some things that are always wrong. There are some things that are always wrong. And it's not your opinion. So what I'm about to say, uh, some of you will disagree with that. But that would be your opinion. And it would be rooted in ill-informed emotion personal conjecture and cultural bias. Now, some of you on television right now watching me, you're going to grab the remote and you're going to wait to see if I say something you agree with. And if I don't, you're going to turn it off or you're listening to the podcast and you'll go listen to something else. You just turn me off. Uh, those of you in the room, we will see when you get up and you, when you walk away. <laughs> but it'll just prove, I believe, the frailty of your false God and your unwillingness to brace the truth. So are you ready? Say yes. All right, here we go. Is abortion right? No. Is it okay to have an affair on your spouse? No. Is homosexuality right? No, it's not. Homosexual marriage? No. Bisexuality, right or wrong? Wrong. Is it okay to live together outside of marriage? 
No, wrong. Is it okay to murder someone? Nope, wrong. Is it okay to sleep around, have premarital sex? Nope. Is it unacceptable? See, some of you are already fading out because maybe we touched a nerve. Is it unacceptable to steal a pack of gum? Well, then it's unacceptable to steal a car. How about I go out to the pot store this afternoon and just get a big old three fingers of, three finger baggie of, of Mary Jane and just get myself all stoked up. Mary Jane, that's how old I am. Can I lie on my resume? Can I cheat on my taxes? I'll try again. Is it, is it okay to cheat on my taxes? Okay. Is it right for me to go against God's word? Okay, let's try again. Is it right for me to go against God's word? Okay. Is it right for you to go against God's word? Oh, okay, that was a different response. Because we want everybody else to do it, right? So the answers to all those questions are no. Absolutely, unconditionally, wrong, 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 wrong. We today are living in a generation where there are no absolute truths. Truth is just relevant. People believe that everyone gets to decide for themselves what truth is. Now you can believe that, but you'd be wrong. That's not how life works. It's not how the world works. Uh, I borrowed this from my wife. Pinkish purple is not my color. Some things are absolute. No, they're not absolute, Pastor. Yes, they are. Gravity. That would be absolute. That would be absolute. You wouldn't have a choice. You wouldn't have a choice if you just walked off the edge of the building and said, I don't believe uh, gravity exists. Well, you'd be wrong. You would be wrong. You're a pilot of an airplane and all of a sudden the clouds come in on you, right? Now you don't know which way's up and which way's down and it's all kind of funky and weird and in your gut, you think you should go down. But all the instruments tell you, oh no, you should go up. There are absolutes. And the mountain that you're about to hit will tell you. You should have trusted the absolute truth. There are a couple absolutes. If you don't want to buy into that, there's a couple. Number one, you were born. (laughs) And you're going to die. So I want you to go on a journey with me this morning with the idea that there's no such thing as your truth. Well, that's their truth. No, there is only truth. There is only truth. You don't get to pick your truth. Your friends don't pick. Well, that's what my friends say. That's what culture says. That's what society says. So let's start here. Two plus two equals say four, right? But that, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this equation. Two plus two equals five. It's not true. It's absolutely wrong. It's counterintuitive. It's not what we believe. It's wrong. It's wrong. We can all agree that two plus two does not equal five. It's wrong. But now I'm going to draw a parallel here. It's going to be a bit of analogy. Society at large wants us to believe that some things are okay and they're not. And so they tell us in a mantra on television, online, 
everywhere we see it, every magazine we read, everything that we observe, hey, two plus two equals five. Everybody believes. Everybody, my friends think that. My grandma thinks that. My uncle thinks that. Nope, nope, nope. We know that two, impl- two plus two equals four. And that's what's kind of fun about getting together on Sunday morning. We're hanging out with a bunch of other people that think th- two plus two is four. Now, there's some of you here today that don't like what I've said so far about sleeping around and having a boyfriend sleep at your house and having premarital sex and getting high, you know, occasionally and just being stupid every once in a while because, you know, everybody does it. No, those things are wrong. Two plus two equals four does not equal five. Uh, In 1949, George Orwell wrote a book called 1989, 1984 rather. And in it, it was 1949 he wrote it, And in it, they uh, tried to change how everyone thought. It's very important how people thought. And uh, the English socialism uh, that was taking root in this story, happening in England at the time, um, tried to change how everybody thought about everything. And and one one of their primary dogmas was that war was peace. When we're at war, we're actually, it's a good thing. We're actually at peace. Now, you think that's counterintuitive, but this is what the book is based on. And the, and the party believed, the party in, in the story, the government believed that the people of the area was called Oceana, that they needed to believe that war was peace, and they actually needed to believe, metaphorically, that two plus two equals five. There was a young man in the story, Winston Smith. Winston Smith worked at a plant where uh, we were all about changing the truth. But Winston had some thoughts of his own. And Winston began to write these thoughts down that were contrary to what society thought, to what, to what um, the uh, political powers of the day thought. And it was really, 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 really dangerous for him to write these down because these were his thoughts. And there is a thing called the thought police. You can't think like that. It's not right even to think like that. You shouldn't even think like that. Well, his little book was discovered, and so he was taken in for interrogation by the thought police. And the man who interrogated him in room 101, the dreaded room of 101, was the interrogator, Mr. O'Brien. And Mr. O'Brien tells the thought criminal, Mr. Smith, quote, Our control over physical reality is unimportant to the party. We don't care about that. Provided that the citizens of Oceana subordinate their real world perspectives to the political will of the party. Called doublethink. And so he was taken into room 101 and he was forced to believe that two plus two equals five. This was the beginning of his programming or reprogramming. And uh, several times during the course of the interrogation, he said, okay, they they beat him. You know, all the things they do in interrogation, they beat him. And he said, okay, 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 it's five. And Mr. O'Brien, the interrogator, didn't believe that Winston actually believed that he was just saying to appease the powers. And so the beatings continued and continued and continued, and continued. They put him on a table. Next slide. Now, I've read the book. I've not seen the movie. I got these screenshots from the movie. I don't, I'm not, I'm not advocating the movie nor the book. I'm just drawing a parallel for you to today's society. 
And they stretched him out and they began to interrogate him. And you will believe that two plus two equals five. He says, no, I won't. No, I won't. Okay, okay, it's five, it's five. I don't believe that you believe. And they beat him and they beat him and they beat him. But they knew what his most secret fear was. And his most secret fear was rats. He hated rats. They knew this about him because they followed him around. I mean, they tracked his Google searches. And they knew that rats was something he was deadly afraid of. So you know what they did? Next slide. They strapped a cage to his face with rats in it. Yeah, that's Mr. O'Brien there. Saying, I'm going to release these rats to gnaw your face off. I haven't fed them in three weeks and they'll chew your face off. They'll start with your eyeballs. So you can't see anymore. And it began and it went on and it went on and it went on and it went on until... Spoiler alert, he actually believed that two plus two is five. It's a dystopian book, terrific, and it reminds us of a lot of what's happening today. The double think, where we're somewhat forced, we're forced to believe some of this stuff. See, the godless culture of our day wants to rewire you, and it's happening. It's happening right before your eyes. And I'm going to tell you primarily how they do that. It's through relativism. Relativism is the theory that value judgments, especially in ethics and aesthetics, that uh, conceptions of truth and moral values are not absolute. It's okay for you, but it's not okay for me. It's okay for me. It's not okay for you. It's all relative. It's all good. You do you. You do do. YOLO, baby. YOLO. Just go for you. You do you. On a very simple level, this is why we've got, and I thought long and hard about this, this is why we've got parents coming off the stands at football games punching the football coach. Authority rests in the one who has it, the one to whom it has been given. So the coach, he has the power, he has the authority to do what? Take a player out, change out a new player. Why? Because he's the coach. But you know better, and so you come out of the stands and, what are you doing? Wait a second. He has the authority. You don't have the authority. He has the ultimate authority. Take people in, put people out. You don't believe in that type of authority? Well, then maybe you've never been fired. Let's say you got fired from your job, but you decided, no, he doesn't have the authority. He can't do that. And so you went back the next day. You had your uniform on and everything, and you had your time card or whatever it was. and said, no, 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 you can't be here. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I can in, in my reality, see, in my reality, I'm not fired. You're giggling. That, that's the world. That's the world's philosophy. You just have your own truth. doesn't work that way. Now, when the policeman gives you a lawful order, get out of the car. No, I don't feel like it. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's not going to go well for you. Look at the rioters down in Atlanta this morning. Have you seen that in the news? Oh, you haven't? Yeah. Antifa is burning the city down. But Atlanta, you want to set up a, a, a you want to set up a little zone in Atlanta like they did. Uh, where was that in, in New York? It ain't gonna work. Those Atlanta cops are not gonna stand for it. And so they squashed it pretty hard, pretty fast. Because you got a bunch of people that are deciding that they're gonna create their own truth. They want their own reality. 
So here we go. This is where we begin. Who is the ultimate authority in the world? Jesus. He is the last. He's the absolute authority. How do I know that? Matthew 28. Jesus said of himself, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Go home. All authority. He has ultimate authority. There is no court of appeals beyond the word of God. That's it. So let's put to death the idea that somehow we can create our own truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There is only aletheia. There's only truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. I am the truth. I am aletheia. I am the truth. So I don't want to I don't want to totally blow your mind this morning, but I, I want to just present this idea to you that God is not alive. If God was alive, life would hold God. But God is life. Okay, come to my theology class. God is not alive. <laughs> God is life. Jesus isn't a way that tro truth, oh, truth comes to you. No, no. He is truth. He doesn't speak truth. That's a byproduct, yes, of him being truth. Can we stretch our minds beyond TikTok just for a second? <laughs> a 30-second little chit-chat. No, no, no. This is the real deal. So what is truth? If you want a definition other than this, how about this? Jesus is truth. Truth is a person. Truth is a person. Truth is a person, and that would be Jesus. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. Look at that, look at that definition. Who is that? That's Jesus. Truth is a person. Jesus is the truth. It is a truth which is consistent with the mind, the will, character, and the glory of being of God, okay? Would you agree? Please say yes, okay. Therefore, therefore, to create your own truth is to make yourself God. Oh, see, thanks for coming along for the ride. That was well worth it, wasn't it? Right? If he has all authority, and when he speaks, it's the truth. When you create another truth, you're saying, shut up, God. I got this. You don't know. I know better. You don't know Springfield, Illinois. You don't know how to create. I got, this, I got a certain set of facts here you don't know about. I'm smarter than you. That's what, when you say I have my own truth, what you're saying to God, that now I am the truth, which means I am God, which is what? That's a problem. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? Oh, there's more hope for a fool than him. That's not a smart move. The fallacy, the misconception, the subtle delusion that if we can believe and create our own truth, you become wise in your own eyes. And you buy into the actual lie of our society and you begin to believe that two plus two equals five. I'm here today to tell you that two plus two is four. We, you're not gonna change that. This is the truth. 
capital T, truth. Jesus is the way, the truth. And you want to know? It's absolute. It's non-negotiable. And I know in the, and I like to negotiate. I'm a very good negotiator. You know, I, I, I get my corn tortillas rock bottom price on the streets of Guatemala because I know how to negotiate, right? You go to a third world country where you have to negotiate or even you negotiate whatever it is that you negotiate. Listen, you do not get to negotiate with God. You know, you can, like in the, you write down a number, I'll write down a number, we'll see who's close. God's always the, got the right number. That's how it works. You do not, I mean, that would almost be tattooable. You do not get to negotiate with God. So, if the world's trying to get us to believe that two plus two equals five, it's okay to do that, it's okay to do that, it's okay to believe that, it's okay to believe that, and we just get inundated with that all the time, where do we start to begin in reprogramming or rewiring our mind? I have a one-step process. Not a three-step, not a nine-step, not a 12-step, I have a one-step process. It's this, Proverbs nine ten: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. People that make their own truth don't believe, don't trust God. They don't fear God. You do not fear God. You're, you're gonna, t- where's my, where's my weight? Can you, can you give that to me? I want to drop it again. Some of you weren't ready last time, were you? My wife said, watch your toe, watch your toe. You don't get to negotiate truth with God. I'll drop it later. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's a translation. Reverent fear of Yahweh is your first step in having good sense. That's a literal translation, translation of uh, Proverbs 9.10. So we attempt to redefine truth. We fall prey to what Adam and Eve did in the garden, don't we? When the devil says, did God really say that? Here, believe this. Don't believe what he said. Believe what I tell you. Believe what whatever that person is in your life, your friend, your neighbor, your own broken conscience, your own seared understanding of the realities. And you say, I don't know. The reason you may not know is because you've never read the instruction manual. I know a lot of you don't like reading instructions. I'm an instruction reader. How do you do that? And then, you know, of course, you know, I grew up in the day where everybody's, I'm really going to date myself, where everybody's VCR flash 12. Yeah, anybody else? Everybody's VCR, because if I didn't know how to program that thing, I don't know how to program that thing. Now I give it to Davina, I give it to my six-year-old granddaughter. Program, program, blah, 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 done. So we're creating a generation where it's just supposed to be intuitive. You get a brand new iPhone, you say, where's the instructions? It's just a phone in a box for cry yai. Yeah? Have you got an iPhone lately or an iPad or something like that? Anything, there are no directions. There are no directions. It's just, there it is. Figure it out. God says, I have, I have an instruction manual for you. This is the truth. It's, it's, it's the great, <laughs> it's a great picture. It's, a great, it's the great limbo bar. You know you ever play limbo? You ever play limbo? It's non-negotiable. It's not negotiable. It is the standard. You will either get through it or you won't. And this thing is called life. So your actions then become an affront to God because now you said, I know truth. You don't know truth. I have authority to make whatever truth I want. And so now you're affront with God and you disobey his truth and substitute your own. And we seek to become our own God. If you want something that's tweetable, 
How about this? There is no right way to do the wrong thing. Doing the right thing is not always easy. You can tell your neighbor, hey, look at them in the eye. Say, you know what? Doing the right thing is not always going to be easy for you, but you should do it. Go ahead, just take a minute, have a little conversation with your neighbor and tell them. Doing the right thing, this is going to be important for somebody here today. Look at them and tell them. You know, doing the right thing is not going to be easy for you, but you really need to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God's way is not easy, not always. Well, if it was God's way, it would be easy. You must not have read the instruction manual. Because God took the children of Israel the long way around the desert. He took them the long way around. Read it. Why does he take them the long way around? Why isn't it always easy? Because if he wanted the end result, he could just simply speak the end result into existence. What he wants you to do is to be obedient to his word. So this is why it's tough. It requires three things. Write them down. Sacrifice, humility, and courage. An old Baptist preacher who went to Burma back in the 1800s says, there is no success without sacrifice. Therefore, if you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone else suffered before you. Oh, that was easy. Why? Look at all the prayers that went ahead of you. Look at all the money that was poured in that ahead before you got there. Look at the people that prepared the way for you. You're standing on their shoulders. And it is because someone else has suffered before you. But if your sacrifice is without success, oh, I'm sacrificing, I'm sacrificing, I'm sacrificing, and I didn't ever see the success, it's because someone else will succeed after you. Not everything you build, not everything you build is for you. For generations to come. But that's not how our society thinks today. They say two plus two is five. It's all disposable. When you die, you just become dust. Live for the day, grab the gusto, to go for it, get the brass ring, get it all, get all the toys. No, but the you know, the person in the end with all the toys still dies. That's one of the truths, right? So, sacrifice. Saint Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils, but it's humility that makes men into angels. And my wife's favorite, Winston Churchill, speaking on courage. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is courage to continue that counts. So as you stand in this fight of two plus two equals five, and the indoctrination that we all face every single day into the spirit of relativism, the godless culture trying to rewire us, you've got to embrace those three words, sacrifice, humility, and courage. Not popular words in our society today, are they? It's a deep, deep deep-seated truth that in the moment, wrong things can seem right, but it'll never be right in the eyes of God. So we must never compromise our biblical worldview our values and beliefs for the sake our values and beliefs for the sake of convenience selfishness expediency so that's the introduction for today's sermon <laughs> i have your sermon text it's found in 1 samuel chapter 15 i'm not going to read the whole chapter to you i'm just going to pray that rose can keep up with me as i rattle off some verses here
And first, in, let me just tell you the story real quick so you can follow along. First Samuel, first Samuel chapter 15 tells a story of the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. Saul was put in place by a prophet by the name of Samuel. Samuel went and found Saul, made him, made him the king because the people of Israel wanted a king. They made him a king. Not a real good choice, but that's who they wanted, and that, that's who ended up being the king, rather. And so uh, time went on. The word of the Lord came to uh, Samuel to go tell Saul, you need to go take care of these people that uh, killed and oppressed the Jewish people, uh, the Israelites, and you need to wipe them off the face of the earth. So Saul goes off to do that. That's how the story begins. So in verse number one, so listen out of the message of the Lord, verse two, I will punish, uh, this is what the Lord says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them out in the desert in Egypt, verse three, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy them, verse four, so Saul summoned the men and he mustered them all. How many did he get? 200,000 soldiers and an extra 10 from Judah. So Saul went out, verse seven, Saul sacked, he attacked the Amalekites all the way to the east, all the way to Egypt. But verse number eight, but, but then he took Agag. Agag is the king of the Amalekites. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, and he took him alive. Uh-oh. He was told he needed to destroy him. But now Saul has decided to, to, take, the, to take the king. And that's gonna be a problem. So he took him alive and all the people and he told to destroy it at the sword. But verse nine, but Saul and the army spared Agag. And by the way, they took some sheep and cattle because they were good and fat. They'd make a great roast. Verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Samuel and the word of the Lord came to Samuel and said, hey, you know what? You went and told Saul what I told him. Guess what? He didn't do it. He didn't totally destroy everything. He kept the king alive and he kept some sheep and some goats back or some sheep and cattle back. You need to go have a conversation with him. So early in the morning, verse 12 got up and went to meet, uh, verse 12, met, went to meet Saul. Saul, what's the problem? Verse 13, when Samuel reached him, <laughs> this thing is so interesting. When Samuel the prophet showed up to Saul's house, Saul said what? Hey, Lord, bless you. Like Gomer Pyle. Hey, hey, Samuel. Samuel got no smile on his face. Right? Golly! I'm just the king of Israel. I'm Saul. I get to do anything I want. But the word of the Lord said you need to utterly destroy the king and everything. So Saul's, Samuel's coming with a real stern face. But Saul, hey, God bless you. Not everybody says God bless you is doing the work of the Lord. So he says, Lord bless you. Hey, I've carried out all the instructions. Had he? Did he? Did Saul do what he was supposed to do? No, but he just said, I did it all. I did everything you told me to do. Junior, did you clean your room? Yeah, dad, I cleaned my room. No, you didn't clean your room, son. Verse 14, the prophet Samuel said, then um, if that's true, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ear? And what is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Last I checked, you didn't have sheep and cattle. Now I hear thousands of them in the backyard. What's with that? Saul. <clears throat> Verse 15, Saul answered. Uh, the soldiers brought them. Not me. Not me. I didn't do it. 
The soldiers. It sounds like the garden, doesn't it? Not me. And we're going to place blame somewhere else. The soldiers brought them in and they spared. Oh, here's what they did. They, they spared the best sheep and the cattle. Why? Because they wanted to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Sam was not having it. Verse 19. Uh, why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission that the Lord assigned me and I completely destroyed the, Amal- the Amalekites and I brought back Agag, their king, which isn't what he was supposed to do, but he's saying, I did it. I did everything you said I was supposed to do, but then just lies to you that two plus two is five. Believe me, Samuel, I actually did what you told me. He's trying to gaslight him. He's trying to, he's trying to blow smoke. He's trying to tell Samuel two plus two is five. You think Samuel's gonna buy it? I don't think so, let's see. Verse 21. I see the soldiers took the sheep and the plunder. We were actually going to devote those to the Lord. We weren't going to eat them. <laughs> no, we were going to give back sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel replied, verse 22. Here it is. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And your rebellion is like witchcraft, verse 23. Saul denied his disobedience. He actually tried to rewire Saul, or Samuel rather. Well, I carried out the Lord's instructions. He tries to justify himself by blaming other people. They, they did it, I didn't do it, they did it. So Saul decided that he knew better than God. That's the end of this story. And the rebellion against God, what is that? We already know. That's idolatry. That's self-worship. And that's Exodus chapter chapter 20, verse 3, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. You break the first commandment when you decide you're going to create your own truth. And that you can do a wrong thing the right way. You cannot do a wrong thing the right way. Why? Because there is such a thing as absolute truth. That's how it's gonna fall on that day when the sky opens up. When the sky opens up that day, it's not gonna be, I want a do-over. Your obedience, my obedience alone acknowledges that God reigns over your life. How do I know that God reigns over your life? Do you do what he told you I don't care if you're the king of Israel, Saul. Did you do what God said to do? What's this bleeding I hear in my ear? Why is that under your bed? Why is that out in your backyard? Why is that in your, your Google search? Why is that a saved? If we put a GPS tracker on you, not me, God, he already knows where you go and what you do, what you think. Your obedience is what acknowledges whether or not you serve God. So this leads us to the idea that the chief element in every sin, let's go there, theologically, the chief element in every sin is disobedience. Any sacrifice that you give in order to take the place of your obedience is an abomination. 
You're trying to placate God. You're trying to satisfy God with what you're doing. I'm singing in the choir. I'm an usher. I'm a greeter. I'm a teacher. I come to church. I sing and I dance and I raise your hands. God says, yeah, 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 yeah. What's the bleeding I hear in my ear at your house, in your bedroom, in your backyard, in your kitchen? And under there? What is that? What is that? Wait, wait, get, what do I desire, says the Lord? Sacrifice or obedience? Obedience is Obedience is better than sacrifice. Are you feeling this? Are you understanding how severe this is? This is why the fear of God has got to be where we begin. If you don't fear God, you're in a sad, sad state. You're going to start creating truth for yourself. Anything you want can go. You'll rationalize anything. I know. I've done it. (laughs) You love me, John 14, 15, what will you do? You obey. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's the genuine test. It's the litmus test. It's whether or not you really are a Christian. You ever had that conversation with, well, he's really a Christian. No, you're either a Christian or you're not. It's either truth or it's not truth. Anything that's not truth is a lie. And half truth means the other half is a lie. The half-truth. This is why we speak the truth in love. Every day, every day in our society, people buy into the lie, don't they? Two plus two is five. Two plus two is five. Two plus two is five. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's going to do it. You may as well do it. Jump in. Don't buy into the lie, ladies and gentlemen. Read the instruction manual. There is truth. There is a right way to do this. Why do they do that? Why do people allow themselves to be brainwashed and come out of room 101 actually believing that two plus two is five? They compromise their truth and the word, even Jesus. Why? Because of those three words. There's no sacrifice. There's no humility and there's no courage. I'm calling on you today as I am preaching to myself to up your game where sacrifice is concerned, up your game where humility is concerned, and up your game where courage is concerned. People want to avoid pain. Pain avoidance is what we're all about. But that's not number one. Sacrifice by definition means it's going to hurt a little bit. Do it. It's the right thing. Even, you know, even when no one's watching, that's how you know whether or not you're actually saying two plus two is four or you're just making sure no one else is around and you really believe two plus two is five. But because people are watching, oh, it's four. They think they're smarter than God. That's no humility. And they lack the courage to look different, to think different, to behave different than the world. That's no courage. You're going to have to come to reality with these three words. You're going to have to replace the wishbone with a backbone and stand up even if no one else stands up with you. At birth... I was, you were, we were pre-wired because of the fall to disobey God, right? That's just what we did. We, we were pre-wired to disobey God. We were greedy and selfish from the get-go. Look at the two-year-old that doesn't have to be taught to be selfish. Mine! You didn't teach him that. Where'd that come from? That broken spirit on the inside. And as a parent, it's your job to what? Rewire them? I've shown the old man what is good, just what the Lord requires of thee. Hey, do justly. 
Love, mercy, walk in humility. Micah 6, 8, right? That's our job. Well, guess what? You have a heavenly father, all right? Let's graduate the scale. Now you have a heavenly father who's looking at you and saying, yeah, you're broken too. So here, here's the instruction manual. Let me teach you. Let me train you. But if you don't have any humility and you're not willing to stand up and say, listen, that's just not right. That's just not right. We, we have a, remember I told you a week or so, when we disagree with people nowadays, you hate them. You know, I can talk to someone that's a homosexual and say, listen, that's just not right according to the word of God. I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you what the instruction manual says. I've read it. And these truths are immutable. They don't change. Well, you can have any truth that you want, but you'll suffer the consequences of whatever reality you think you're living in. I'm just trying to tell you there is someone who is truth. He is the way and he is the line. And truth is a person. You want to know what, you want to know. <laughs> you just go back to the fall. You go back to Adam and Eve. They believed the lie that the enemy told them. That's why we're in this mess. And we're told lies every day. Remember, I preached a sermon not too long ago about the enemy, the, the battlefield of your mind. I mean, that's where it all begins. He comes and whispers something to you that's contrary to the, to the instruction manual. Immediately, you need to jettison that idea and say, listen, I don't think like that. Well, that takes courage to do that with your friends. It takes humility. Why? Because then you have to admit that you don't know the answer, that somebody else really knows the answer, and it's the word of the Lord. And it may cost you. Anybody that ever sells you a gospel that doesn't cost you something is a charlatan and you should just leave that church. The gospel's expensive. It was paid for with the blood of Jesus. Do you think you're gonna attain it without some sort of, some sort of, you know, he, 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 was, sacri- he was pierced for your transgression, wounded, for, and you think you're gonna go through life unscathed? No, people are gonna hate on you. They're gonna say things about you. They're gonna, they're gonna call you all sorts of names. And blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness, for righteousness. Not for being stupid, not for being weird, not for being off the wall crazy, but when you're persecuted for, for doing the right thing, you know what you do? You just stand there and you say, thank you, Lord. I'm gonna take it. That's the spirit of every martyr that went before us. So let's talk about salvation in our final minute. All authority is his. Jesus is the truth, and the truth rests in him. And so you can no longer continue to openly or in secret rebel against God. That's what we all decided to do when we gave our life to Jesus, right? I'm broken. I need to have a little, I need to sacrifice myself on humility. I'm gonna have some courage, and I'm gonna step over that line, and I begin to believe what the Lord says is true. What that is, that's your foyer, that's your entry, that's your admission, that's the front door, that's the front porch of what heaven is for you, is your salvation, where you say, Jesus, I'm not the boss. I realize that my, uh, um, where's, is, is Tim Phoebus here today? Wave your hand. It's such a computer. I'm thinking of uh, the analogy. I'm thinking of like my operating system. My operating system is corrupted. Yeah? Right? You just got a glitch. You you got a glitch in the system. Right? What do they tell you to do? What's the first thing any IT guy will tell you to do? Stop. You ever seen that person that thinks if they hit the button 10 times in a row really fast, it'll fix it? Or hit it harder. It doesn't work. Turn it off. Sacrifice, humility, and courage. 
That's how you get saved. You step into the presence of the Lord and you say, listen, I am broken. I cannot do this and I need your help. And for those of us that walk with him for a while, those words ring true for us, don't they? Why? Self-sacrifice is always there for us. Something I've learned in these 60 years is life is a long lesson in humility. Courage is fear, but it just holds on just a little bit longer, said George Patton. So you can believe that octopus tastes good and blue is a terrible color and Illinois is the best state. You can choose to believe those things. But when it comes down to what's in here and what's ultimately right and what's ultimately wrong, it's just non-negotiable. So we all have to check our operating system and make sure it's not corrupted. That we're saying two plus two equals five in the way we deal with our finances, in the way we deal with our children or our marriage, the way we deal with our boss or our employer, the way we deal with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those things are non-negotiable. God has an opinion on all those things. And if you don't know what they are, you're probably in line to make a pretty big mistake. But if you want to know what truth is, truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. If you walk with him, he'll show it to you. Stand with me today, please. Lord Jesus, we come to you today as the absolute truth. We come to you as the one who knows all truth, who has all authority. And if the Lord's convicting you right now of something in your life that you're presenting as a reality that's not in line with the word of God, you gotta get rid of that. That's called a sacrifice. He doesn't care how much you tithe or how loud you sing until you obey. He doesn't care how much you tithe or how loud you sing until you obey. He doesn't care how many missions trips you go on. He doesn't care whether your grandfather, your granddad, your dad, your uncle, your brother were all pastors. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. Will you obey me? Those who love me will obey me, says the Lord. So if there's some level of disobedience in your life right now and you feel that tinge, that's really a good thing. Don't see that as a bad thing. See that as a good thing. That's the patient heavenly father by the power of the spirit coming and just tapping you on the shoulder saying, I didn't forget. I still love you. I know, I know it's hard. It's going to be hard, but you can do it. I know you can. Why? Because I'll be with you. My rod, my staff will comfort you. I'll see you through. You may lose a few friends. You may lose a few other things. That's sacrifice. You don't know it all, so have a little humility. And then have some courage, which is just fear holding on one minute longer. If that's you, raise your hand with me this morning. Here we are, Lord. We're broken people. And we, we want to believe your word that two plus two is four. And we want, we want to get rid of those things in our life, God, that are lies from the enemy that make us feel good for a minute or two. But at the end of the day, it just brings destruction to my home, my family, my life. Give us courage, Lord, to raise our hands and say, I am broken. I need to be rewired and I need your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you see us today. We, we come to you in humility. Lord, there is nothing in us that says we know the truth except for you are the truth. 
So we open up our life to you. We say, come on in, flood us with revelation of truth through your word. May we be people of your word. May we know your word. May we be readers of your word so we know what the truth is. Because it's that truth that will set us free. And so now, Lord, we ask that your peace would be on us as we go to be a better husband, to be a better wife, to be a better grandparent, to be a better child. And to be a a better Christian. Not substituting our own truth for what your truth is. And may we walk in truth as we walk with you. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit be upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.